Welcome to Mimi UU. I'm Mimi Nicklin, the host of the show. This podcast is anonymous and it's audio only without names to protect from unconscious bias or judgment and to allow true empathy to grow. The goal of the show is to share diverse stories from around the world by giving people a platform to share openly so that other people like you can understand diverse realities from around the globe. We exist to create empathy and not just talk about it. Welcome to Me, Me, You, You. Hello and welcome back to Me, Me, You, You. It is always such a pleasure to host guests from around the world and today's guest is no different. But before we kick off, I do just want to outline at the beginning, as I always do, that it's very important for me to say that I shall never reveal the identity of my guests or the person behind the story unless you yourself explicitly ask me to or have agreed to. So before we start to my guest, I just want to check that you're comfortable with that and this sounds okay to you. That sounds great, Mimi. Fantastic. Well, in that case, before we kick off into the depths of the conversation today, I want to just give a very short background to how we got here. Having spent a lot of my time in and out of the Middle East and in various countries where Islam is a very important culture, I first met this guest within this conversation, within a shared passion for helping more people understand the Islamic world, what it means to be a Muslim, um, and have done a lot of work since then. But this story today is going to hopefully create more empathy for many people out there who don't know this religion, perhaps as my guest does. And it's with great pleasure that I open the platform for that conversation. So let's start at that point. And let me ask you, why did you want to come and share your story today? What do you want the world to understand? So, yeah, it's a really interesting question, Mimi. I think, um, you know, my background is that I didn't grow up in a Muslim country or knowing Islam at all. I actually chose to convert to the religion um, more than 10 years ago. Um, And like many people in the Western world, I had no idea really what the religion was beyond the image that is shared by the media with us. And if we're honest, it's often quite a negative image that is shared Um, So for me, what's become important is talking about my own story and how my views and beliefs have really shifted and how actually when you're open to listening and discovering something, it can actually bring a lot more um, peace, depth, uh, richness to your life. I think a lot of us are very um, fearful of what we don't know. Um, And, you know, again, it's, it's really exacerbated by the media because we're we're you know we have this kind of social conditioning that we're used to um, and anything that's unknown is is scary um, so for me islam was a religion that you know i associated quite a lot with everything negative like you know the acts of terrorism that we see around the world um, and not much more and you know discovering this religion and actually discovering that it was my own spiritual path that was leading me there um, has been a complete change in the way I live, um, the way I feel uh, like like I can let go into and surrender to um, deeper meaning in life. 
And honestly, uh, um, it's really helped me along a much more purposeful path in my life as well. So I think it's it's a story worth sharing, not because, um, you know, it's absolutely about Islam itself, but it's about opening up to things that we don't know um, and what that can mean for us in our lives. What an unbelievable journey that's been. And I thank you in advance for sharing it, because I, like you, have always experienced the media surrounding the Muslim faith quite confusing, as you said, negative at times, and quite polarizing, which is why I, I feel so passionate about hearing your story. Why did this journey begin for you? So you talked about discovering Islam for the first time about 10 years ago. What led you to that path? So um, love <laughs> is the short answer. Right. Um, but I, so I, I'll, I'll share a little bit more. But I, so I, I'll share just a little bit about my background and my childhood, because I think that's really important to understand as well, because I think a lot of us, we're all born with um, an innate belief system, I think. Um, and for me, religion was something that was very taboo in my childhood. Um, you know, my mum had gone to um, or been forced to go to a Catholic school. My dad had no kind of religious um, figure in his life. Uh, so both of them had kind of rejected the total idea of religion. And, you know, my, my brother and I were born, we weren't ever baptized. We never did any kind of religious education. And growing up, I actually felt somewhat kind of out of it when my friends were going through all of their different kind of, you know, ceremonies, whatever they were in, in, in their families. There was never anything for me to kind of latch on to. Um, so it was already something that I felt had pushed me aside a little bit. And what I find interesting is that I never felt comfortable inside a church. There was always this feeling of um, I was scared inside a church, this feeling of darkness because of the unknown, I think. But deep down, I always said to myself, one day when I have children, I will get my children baptized and I will get myself baptized at the same time because I don't want to go to hell. OK, so I I remember having this deep belief in God and in something bigger than myself, even though I there was no frame for that within my childhood and also no place for me to express that within my childhood. So, you know, many years later, um, I actually met my husband, who is Moroccan and who obviously comes from a Muslim culture and country. And, you know, at the time when I met him, we I remember I was on holiday and actually joked with my friend saying, oh, you know, um, all of the men are Muslim, so you know it's just going to be a girls' week this week because I was a single, a single girl traveling on holiday, um, and you know that just goes to show kind of how how fundamentally we can change our beliefs, right? Um, so I met him, we fell in love, and it was out of love that I just I wanted to understand more. So I started reading about the religion to really understand more about what it was about. After a while, I ended up going and taking classes at the mosque. So, you know, I was completely, completely not converted in any way, but I used to walk into the mosque with my, you know, long blonde hair and, um, and uh, just walk in in my jeans and, and, and go to these classes every week. My husband would come with me. And I was lucky enough to have met um, an imam at the mosque that I went to that was just so open in terms of his mindset that I could ask any of the hard questions I had. And I did, and I really pushed him and, what was unbelievable is that he just always seemed to have an answer that that suited me, that I could accept and that made sense to me. Um, and so as you know, as the weeks went on and the reading went on, um, there were there was kind of this innate belief in me that kind of crept in that one day I would end up converting. I just wasn't sure when that would be. And 
then I got pregnant. And I think it was simply because there was this feeling of unity about having a child and being a family unit and wanting to bring a sense of kind of consistency and um, a message that I'd never had as a child that meant that that time when I was pregnant is when I decided to convert. So that's the story of how I got there. What, what an amazing journey. And can I ask you, the very first time you went to the mosque and, you know, you mentioned walking in with your long blonde hair, your jeans. So, you know, potentially not sort of aesthetically looking necessarily like everybody else in the mosque, um, although that may be an assumption. So please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but can you remember the very first time and, and how that felt? So I had been inside mosque before because I'd been on holiday to places like Turkey and Istanbul where we'd visited the Sophia and, um, and Blue Mosque and things. So I'd, I'd already had this sense of walking inside a mosque. And for me, and this is very personal, right, but compared to going into a church, which was something that I didn't know, there was always this feeling of much more lightness. There's something about the light in a mosque that's much brighter um, and just felt more comfortable to me so I'd already had that sensation I think um when I'd gone into those mosques in Turkey and when I went into the mosque in Geneva so of course I didn't actually go into the prayer room right I would never go into the prayer room um out of respect you know with without my hair covered but it was there was a classroom kind of inside the the building itself um and there's there's there was always a sense of just acceptance I think and that's that's something that I've come to discover about Islam is what we see is that it's a, a religion that's not at all tolerating, that mistreats women. You know, that's the image that's portrayed, but actually it's the complete opposite, right? There is such um, a, a culture of welcoming, of, um, you know, supporting people to, to be the best version of themselves um, in their lives, but also in the religion. I've never felt judged um, to the choices I make today, I still don't cover my hair in daily life, right? I do when I pray, but, you know, and I'm, I'm learning every day to do more of the Ramadan, to learn how to pray properly, all these things. It's a constant learning journey, but I've never felt judged. I've just always felt supported. Um, and I think that's something that we don't see about the religion, but when you're inside the community and the culture, it's, it's, it's really beautiful. I want to come back to that piece in, in just a moment. But before we sort of delve deeper into that, I'd like to ask you about the acceptance from your, your family and perhaps friends from when you were growing up. You know, you talked about growing up without a religion per se in the family. Um, and as you mentioned in your opening, the media can make, you know, Islam a, a relatively unknown and misunderstood religion or faith. So how did people around you respond when they heard that you were moving into a, a new place spiritually in your life so it's it's also been a journey let's put it that way um I think at the beginning I also wasn't ready to talk about it so openly like if you had asked me to do this at the beginning of my journey I would never have accepted right so it's it's also a journey of acceptance of ourselves and our own choices um, and of others around us being comfortable with the choices that we make and what that means for them in their lives right um, so just to give you an example, I think, I mean, my parents, uh, I've never overtly said the words I have converted to Islam. Um, but, you know, over the years, they've seen my choices in, you know, things like I don't drink alcohol anymore. Um, we only halal meat and they know that, um, you know, they've, they now know that I pray. Uh, we've actually been on holiday to Mecca with, um, with our children. And so obviously they know that we've been there. So 
they know that I've converted, but I have never been able to actually have that conversation openly with them. Um, and it's quite interesting because my mother, especially at the beginning, there was a lot of resistance. And, you know, at the, be at the beginning, when I did a few days of Ramadan, for example, when I fasted, um, she would she wouldn't speak to me for a few days because she was angry that I was doing it. Um, and now, I, so I, I don't know whether it was anger or fear or, but there was something that she just wouldn't accept. And, you know, nowadays, I think she, she sees like that I'm happy, that I'm still me, <laughs> you know, that my family is a, a strong unit, um, that she's still very integrated in our lives as well. And that hasn't changed anything in terms of our relationship. And she will now send me messages wishing me luck on the days that she knows I'm fasting. So it's also a journey for others, I think, around us. Um, of course, it doesn't mean that everybody's accepted it, but a lot of my very close friends have been very interested and have wanted to understand and have found it intriguing. And again, I think what's important to me is it's not about the religion per se. Um, and, you know, they're interested in obviously the culture and the practices in Islam, but it's also about the spiritual journey and whatever that faith is that you have within yourself, like the openness about talking about our spirituality, which I think still remains a topic which a lot of people struggle to talk about openly. Mm. And do you think that patience plays a role in that? And and the reason I ask that is I find myself um, at the moment in my life talking to a lot of people about patience and that it's a skill we have a, a lack of in today's age because things, you know, move so fast around us. And you're talking about your mother and, you know, in the beginning she she couldn't face you during that, you know, some of those important times to you. But now she's come around. You've also mentioned that, you know, you perhaps didn't speak about it as much then, but now you're speaking more. Do you think it's a matter of patience? Is it a matter of acceptance? Is it a matter of time? What do you think some of those sort of skill sets are for people making, you know, a conversion in their life like this? Um, I think, I th so I think patience probably plays a role a lot with the people around us um you know it's always it's a, again i think it's about a journey um you know it for me it's been a journey of self-discovery more than anything and that takes time so as you say it takes time i think it takes time for other people to accept and to see and to experience as well so you know if if time is patience then yes um but i also think it's a lot of question of trust right trust in ourselves trust that we're making the right choices trust that um, we're still going to be there for people in the same way that we were before. You know, it's interesting. I, I heard the other day um, that the levels of trust in society at the moment are their absolute worst. Um, you know, that people just completely don't trust business. They don't trust government. Um, and it shows a lot as to the state of the world. And I think if we're able to bring back more trust in ourselves, in each other, in, you know, all of the... Um, entities that are around us, like the business world and the government, uh, and, you know, trust needs to be deserved. But if we're able to bring that back, then I do think it will help a lot of acceptance of and a lot more deep and meaningful relationships with everybody around us. Mm, yeah, I mean, absolutely. The world is in a place where we definitely can do with a little more trust, a little more empathy, a little more understanding with with all of us. Tell me a little about your journey as a as a mother. Um, and of course, you're bringing children into the world as Muslims, which has been, I know, a, you, you touched on earlier, a very positive unifying experience. 
Um, but how have how have they experienced that? You know, do they surround themselves with lots of other children who are also Muslim? Does it uh, has it been a very rewarding journey? Is it ever confusing? Tell us a little bit about motherhood and, and Islam. Um, so yeah, I think I think you know family values and culture are something that is really beautiful, and you know sharing that with your children is an amazing experience. And therefore having, you know, the religion as a, a unifier um, really helps in terms of kind of the values and the, and the conversations that we have with our children, for sure. Now, what I do find even more beautiful, I'd say, is that, you know, they're growing up obviously in a culture that isn't a Muslim culture. Most of their friends are not Muslims at school. You know, my parents that still celebrate Christmas, for example. And what I love about it is their open-mindedness, right? Which is what, what I think we need in the world, right? I think we need more people to just um, be aware and accepting of other people's choices. And so they understand, you know, that as a family, we're Muslim, that these are the, you know, the celebrations that we're going to have within our family. These are how we live our lives on a daily basis. But they also understand that my parents will celebrate Christmas and they'll take advantage of that and get a Christmas present from my parents as well, right? So it's, you know, and they understand that their friends, most of them are celebrating Christmas um, and don't do Ramadan and things like that. But it has enabled also deeper conversations in their classrooms with their teachers as they're, as they're learning um, about the religions. Uh, it's, you know, it, it, it just brings this sense of open-mindedness and also of acceptance of others who are not necessarily living the same in the same way uh, or have the same beliefs but we're all living together in harmony anyway um, and you know I think the world needs much more of that so I've, I actually feel really really lucky to be able to bring them up even though sometimes it's probably a little bit harder but to bring them up in this kind of mixed culture um, so that they they really do become citizens of the world ultimately and of course when they're adults they'll make their own choice right but I believe that if we're showing them why we have made those choices, then there's a strong chance that they will choose to follow in our footsteps. And and tell me, when you went to Saudi Arabia, I believe it was uh, relatively recent, you took the children. I'm assuming that was your first trip. Tell us a little about that experience and, and perhaps just tell the, the listeners why Saudi Arabia is such an important part of the Islamic faith, because perhaps not everybody knows what's there and, and what that means. Okay, yeah, so Saudi Arabia. So um, we went Ramad during Ramadan last year. We were actually very lucky because there were still quite a few COVID restrictions. So it meant that it wasn't as crowded as it can get. So Saudi Arabia is obviously the home of Mecca um, and of Medina, which is uh, where Prophet Muhammad um, lived for most of his life. Um, and Mecca is obviously, you know, the center, the holy center um, for Islam in the world. So we... So my husband had already been once for us, for me and the children, it was our first trip indeed, um, during the holy month of Ramadan as well, which made it more special. Um, and there was something, I think, I think what's important to say also is that, you know, Islam has been part of my personal journey and my personal transformation as well, because I went through, I went through a lot of struggles um, in my professional life. I went through burnout in the corporate world after living through a really toxic takeover. Um, and I've since actually decided to make a massive change in my life, change, change and leave the corporate world and kind of follow a much more purposeful path of my own and set up by myself. And it was as part of that journey that I actually felt a deeper need to connect to my own spirituality. Um, and I, I actually felt this calling to go to Mecca myself. And I was the one who instigated that for our family. 
um, because I, I just felt that I needed that deeper connection. And as I said before, that deeper level of surrender and trust into the fact that there's a higher force above us, whatever it is you believe in, right? For In Islam, it's obviously Allah, but um, there is a higher force above us that is there to um, guide us, to protect us and to show us the way. And I was feeling that need to go and connect to that. So the experience in Mecca is honestly un indescribable, to be perfectly honest. Um, so that's a place where you can only go if you are Muslim. Um, and during Ramadan, especially, you know, it was so what I guess what actually one story which is probably quite interesting is, you know, even when you're wearing, you know, the attire to go and pray. So you've got basically for a woman, only your face and your hands are uncovered. Um, it was so obvious that I was a converted Muslim, right? So I did have some of the women say to me, oh, you know, like, where are you from? And they were very intrigued when they saw me and my daughter together, um, the little blonde ladies behind uh, behind their veils. Um, so that was that was quite an interesting experience as well. But there is a level of just unbelievable kind of spirituality and just love in your heart when you're there, which is difficult to explain. But I'm sure many people, you know, talk, I mean, you hear the Buddhists talking about that in terms of their meditation practices and, and you know, in the other religions like um, Christianism and stuff. I'm sure there are places where people experience that. But for me, that was definitely at Mecca. Mm -hmm. And I, I love the, the short story there around other women uh, responding to you. Has that been a unilaterally positive experience or have there been occasions where you perhaps looking different um, have created any level of discomfort or barrier? Or as I said, has it unilaterally been, been a positive experience for you? So I'd say overall, it's definitely been a positive experience. For, for sure, any um, Muslim responds positively to it because they, they think it's, um, you know, the, the belief is that, you know, you're very lucky if you have been chosen and you followed the path of Islam, right? So they're super excited for people who have converted. Um, so th there's never been any negative experience in that area. I'd say um, what what I find is interesting is that I so I choose to not wear um, well to leave my hair uncovered in daily life, Ma mainly because one I feel more me to be honest. But the second thing is I think that if I walked around in my daily life in the Western world, um, it's just so obvious that you're converted and people stare at you much more. So that I have seen people staring at you know women who have obviously converted to Islam and wondering what their story is and it doesn't necessarily mean in a bad way but when I dug into why women have to cover their hair um it's it's basically so they don't attract attention right unwanted male attention basically from from people who aren't their husbands and for me if that's the whole point of covering your hair then why would I go and cover it if it's going to attract more attention yeah. so um you know that's that's a choice that I've made at least for the time being um, which I feel very comfortable with, and I don't feel judged at all also within my Muslim community here. Um, but yeah, that, that, there are things like that, obviously, that uh, that mean that, you know, there, there are more questions when you see someone who, who is obviously Western, who is converted, for sure. Mm -hmm. I, I want to share a, a story with you because uh, I, I used to live in Dubai, and during Ramadan, I would often go out in the evenings, as you do in the Middle East, you know, after the fast is broken, the malls are open, it's very festive. Um, I had a, a small baby at the time, and I had a, a similar experience. I'm not Muslim, but in respect of Ramadan, I would cover my hair in the evenings. This was uh, 2018, 2019. It was still 
a little less open than it is today in Dubai during Ramadan. And the experience I had, even as a non-Muslim, was that the minute I covered my hair and uh, was openly, overtly, visually very respectful to uh, Muslim women, their response to me was so much more open. So I remember a very clear experience of being in, in Zara in the line to pay for you know some new clothes and suddenly realizing that every Muslim woman was talking to me and talking to my baby. And, you know, there was so much camaraderie. Uh, and they, I would assume they had made the assumption that I was Muslim because I had, you know, covered in respect of them during the, 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 the holy month. But I felt uh, an amazing connection and ability to see what it is like to be part of a community that is so embracing, which is what you're describing as well, that that idea that once you're within the faith and the community with them, there is there is a very deep acceptance, which I think is a, a very beautiful thing. It is, it is. And this sense of community, I think is, I mean, I think it's key for our, our lives generally, right? People find connection and belonging within communities and there needs to be something that unifies these communities, right? So I think religion is obviously one of the key ones that's gonna unify. Um, but for sure, I mean, I've never experienced that in other religions and I'm sure it exists in other religions. But what I have experienced in Islam is definitely this beautiful sense of just pure acceptance. But they but they do also accept, of course. Right. They're very open to everybody. But there, there is this unifier, I have to say, um, that means that there's just this beautiful acceptance as of the get go. Right. As you say. And why do you think the media, and of course answer this in, in whichever way you're comfortable, but why do you think the media, particularly in the West, is so polarizing towards Islam? Because every time I speak to a Muslim, they say the same thing as you, you know, that this is a hugely accepting faith, that, you know, they're, they're very inclusive, they're very open. Um, and yet the media perseveres with creating the gap that you mentioned in your introduction, which makes people unsure and fear and all these types of things what do you think's fueling that in the Western world? I, so I don't know, um, but my assumption would be there's a lot to do with just pure misunderstanding. Um, you know, we've, I live in a, in a very democratic country, people will be able to work out what it is, where we vote a lot on laws and things. And there have been several laws related to Islam over the past few years. There was one on minarets and there was one on um, wearing the burqa. And what was so interesting was when you listen to political people who were defending um, the vote, so they, there was a complete lack of misunderstanding compared to what a Muslim woman would have fed back. So they thought, so in basically in saying that they were going to vote, that women were not allowed to wear the burqa in public, they thought that they were defending women's rights. But actually, when you speak to Muslim women, it's not that, you know, they're being imposed on wearing the burqa. There are very few people here who do. It's their own personal choice. And so the whole Muslim community was actually um, defending the fact that we should be able to wear the burqa in public if you wanted to. Right. So it was very interesting because you were getting all these political left wing women who thought they were, you know, we're defending women's rights. We're defending all of this. But actually, who were totally misunderstanding the point of the of the religion and, and the choices that people should be able to make it an, ind an individual level. And I think a lot of the propaganda is actually because there's just misunderstanding of a lot of what the fundamentals of the religion is about. And of course, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. Again, as I said in, in my opening today, I think there is a lot of misunderstanding. But of course, 
there are also examples of of extremism in the world. We see it in India, we see it in Pakistan, where Islamic rule, some form of Islamic rule and belief is restricting women. You know, it's stopping young women go to school and university. And of course, as I use the word extreme very purposefully there, but I'd love to touch on that because, again, as someone that is experiencing such a, a beautiful side of this conversion in, in your last decade, how do you feel when you see the news of countries that are are identifying with this religion in a very different way from what you just described? So I think I think the the fundamental issue is that people associate what's happening at a political level with the religion. Um, and you know when the, the the countries that we you know that we that we see in the news, I think the the it, the Muslim population around the world are the first ones to be completely outraged at what's happening, because you know it's it's not what the religion is about, and it's giving it that is actually feeding a very bad image of what it is. Um, you know, I I know actually the people that are fighting the most actively for women's rights in these countries are Muslim women. Right, who are trying to defend um, what it means to be a woman in Islam? You know, when you look at Iran today, it's not about the religion; it's about um, the people that are in, in the situation of power. Right. Um, so, unfortunately, yes, it's happening now. When you talk about extremism, there have been extreme extreme periods for, within any religion. Right. You look back at Christianity and the witch hunts and everything. There's always been a form of extremism, unfortunately, in religion. Today, unfortunately, a lot of um, a lot of the the attention is focused on these countries that have a much more um, dictatorship type of uh, government, um, and and I think the Muslim world can only hope that you know people will understand that it's not the religion, but it is unfortunately the choice of government in those in those countries that is causing the issues. Mm, mm. Very very interesting, and I think you know as you said earlier that spreads into other countries in a in a very uh, misconstrued manner in, in many cases. But let's move on from politics, because I want to sort of, um, you know, go into the, the final part of this. And you touched on on it earlier that you have quit the corporate world and you've started on your own. Congratulations. It's a, a phenomenal feat. Um, how has you, you touched on it, but how has your faith helped you in that? Because I know many of my listeners are either doing so, are already entrepreneurs, have left or are considering it. And there's many young people that tune in who are trying to make decisions about, you know, which world is for them, the corporate, the non, or somewhere in the middle. How has your journey and your faith been part of you finding the confidence, the choice, all of these things that you went through to get to where you are now? Uh, yeah, so that's that's a big one. <laughs> um, so what I'd say is a lot, so a lot of my journey has been about tuning into who I am again. I think, you know, in the corporate world, I had honestly completely numbed out at the end I think I was simply living up to some of the labels that were out there you know I was I was a marketing executive and I was a mother and I was a wife but I had completely lost touch of anything that I was inside so a lot of my journey has been about simply tuning back into who I am as a person reconnecting to that and basically letting go and following what I what I call flow right so following what makes me happy in life what brings me joy and what that how I can then bring that back to my work and I think 
when you decide to follow that kind of path, which is the path that I call the more purposeful path of your life, right? It's not, it's never going to be the easy one. Let's be clear, it's, that's not the easy choice. But when you do decide to follow that path, you have to basically let go of the level of control that we've got used to in our society. So, you know, I used to be someone who used to plan my vacations a year in advance and, you know, try and organize every single detail in my life. Um, and when you choose to move forward on this kind of path, you know, COVID hit us and we basically all understood that we couldn't control everything. But I think we need to surrender to and let go of that level of control and trust that life is going to bring us what we need at the right time. And it's simply a question of being tuned into ourselves enough to see the signs and the breadcrumbs that we need to follow along the way. And so to surrender to that level of trust, I do believe that you need some kind of kind of spiritual anchor. And again, it's whatever you believe in as a person, but I think you need to trust in a higher force and in a bigger power than yourself to show you the way and to guide you along that path. Um, so that's how faith has really supported me on that journey and, and why I think, as I said, I felt this calling to go to Mecca at that point on my own transformational journey because I needed to surrender to a much a much deeper level than I had before. Um, so, yeah, so I hope that answers. Oh, it, it absolutely does. And much of it resonates with me. I, I want to ask two more questions, if I may. One is around fear and the other is around love. So big themes. But fear, was that a scary journey? Quitting, changing, following purpose, finding trust. Was it scary or, or not for you? So scary. <laughs> so scary. Every single day. You know, of course, I think the thing is, like, you know, you can you can either you can either live in your comfort zone in the status quo and you know, know kind of more or less what's gonna happen in the path of your life, or you can choose to go on to honestly what is the scarier path. It's the one where you're not going to, where it's going to be full of unknown, where you're going to have to step outside of your comfort zone, but it's going to be the one that is going to bring you so much more reward and make you feel so much more fulfilled in your life. Um, so I think, you know, you, you, there's always pros and cons and there's always, um, there's always going to be a choice to make, but, you know, you can't have, I don't think you can find that level of fulfillment and happiness if you don't also accept that there's going to be a level of fear along the way. I think I read this really um, beautiful quote in, I don't know whether you've read Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic book, but mm. she talks about, you know, in, in terms of creativity also about how you need to kind of how fear can completely grasp you and how it can give you things like writer's block and stuff like that as well, right? And she said, she says, you know, fear is always going to be there, but you just don't, don't let it be in the driver's seat. Just make sure it's in the passenger seat along the way. Right. So I think that's that's the key. Don't let fear drive you. Just accept that it's going to be there and it's part of the journey. What what a, a wonderful way to see it, because I myself, you know, have experienced much of what you just said. Um, and I, I totally agree. You know, fear is there to to guide us in many ways. Probably if it's not scary, it's uh, too comfortable. Not worth it. Not yes. worth it. Exactly. Well, let's, let's end on my final question around love, because your journey was prompted and provoked by falling in love. What do you think, I mean, how, how would you define love? It's changed your life. Obviously, we have mother's love and romantic love and all kinds of love. But having gone through your journey and, and how do you see love today? The whole world is searching for it. What are your, your final thoughts on, on love and how it's impacted your life? 
I think love is what gives us the most meaning in life, right? But it's, and it's love, it's love, as you say, it can be romantic love, it can be love for children, it can be love for ourselves and love for this beautiful planet that we live on, right? Love is what makes the world go round, honestly, at the end of the day. If you don't have love, then you don't have meaning. Um, and love was, you know, a big part of the path that I followed. But fundamentally, it was it was about following my intuition at that time. You know, there was, if I had listened to my head, I met someone on holiday in a foreign country who came from a different religion. Like people were telling me I was crazy at the time, right? If I had listened to my mind, then we would never have, you know, progressed our relationship. We never would have got married. But I didn't. For once, I followed my heart and I connected actually to that intuition that's inside me, to that real me. And it just felt like it was worth the risk and worth the fear um, to try. And, you know, I'm so glad I did because it has fundamentally changed my life. Right. Um, you know, not only have I got a, a happy, a happy marriage um, and two wonderful children, but, you know, it has taken me on this spiritual journey as well, which I really do think was my destiny and my path unbelievable words to end and and thank you so much my very last question to all guests is would you like to remain anonymous after today's conversation um i'm i'm fine sharing my name to be honest i i'm fine being anonymous i'm fine sharing my, my name i really i don't mind i think um i think it's so important to open up uh that the world needs an, a lot more vulnerability and a lot more openness so that we stop hiding behind all of these masks that we all believe we need to be behind, right? Again, that's been a big part of my journey as well. And I've noticed that as I've started opening up, also about my burnout and things, that it helps other people to open up and share their stories and inspires them as well. So um, if I can help someone else along the way by sharing my name, then I would be more than happy to do that. Okay. In that case, why don't you share your name and where you've recorded from today? Yeah, so my name is Christina Buklas. I am in Switzerland, um, between Geneva and Lausanne. Uh, yeah, and it's a beautiful sunny day here today. Wonderful. Well, Christina, thank you for sharing with us. Um, and just to remind the audience, you know, the reason I asked that question last is because people should have choice, as Christina has just shown, to share or not to share their identity. But it's very important for our creation of empathy that we can go through these conversations without any judgment or bias or unconscious associations. So perhaps if we'd gone into this conversation uh, with names and locations at the beginning, you may have absorbed this conversation differently. I shall leave you as the audience to think about that yourselves. But that is why we keep these conversations uh, anonymous up front. Today's conversation has been incredibly powerful for me just being here to host you, Christina. So thank you. And, and on behalf of the audience as well, some of the things that really stood out as themes for me was a couple of things you said earlier around uh, the difference between what we see versus reality, that ability to follow a purpose and dial into a path that you feel is calling you, which you quite uh, overtly said you felt, you know, links into intuition uh, but also embracing the unknown. So being brave, embracing fear. I love what you said about putting fear, you know, in the passenger seat and, and accepting that. But also the, the journey you've been on to finding a new community that has accepted you so beautifully. But the point you made that we all need community. And that for me is potentially one of the most powerful takeaways from this conversation, because of course, that is why this show exists, which is to 
create empathy, create understanding, so that we can build more community in the world. You know, we are living in the depths of a loneliness endemic, which has nearly 400 million of us in depression. And mental health being one of the highest burdens to our healthcare costs worldwide. We are quite frankly too alone too much of the time. So I really thank you again for joining and for everyone that has joined the conversation today. Please do feel free to reach out if you'd like to join the conversation, if you'd like to add to this, uh, because it is only through sharing all of our personal experiences that we're able to imbue more empathy with those around us. But for all of you that were here today, Christina, my guest, thank you for sharing. And to the audience, thank you for joining us on Mimi You You. It's been a pleasure, Mimi. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today on Mimi You You. This episode is one in a series that has been designed to create empathy in our world. If you would like to join us on the show, please click on www.joinmimiuu.com or follow us across social media at Mimi You You Show. I believe that the more the world talks about empathy, the more empathy the world will have. And I hope that this show is the beginning of doing just that.